And one of the things through, through all of this, through 1 Samuel, I was just really struck with David and Jonathan's friendship. And so love is a really big topic, but I want to look at it sort of through the lens this morning of David and Jonathan and, and their friendship. And we, we don't have just a lot of background, really, for either one before, before this, more so for David than we do for Jonathan. But it's, it's clear from what we have before this, this story starts. 1 Samuel 18 is where we will start reading this morning, but I'd like to back up just a little bit. And, and where we first really see Jonathan coming on the scene is in chapter 14, when Saul is the leader, he's going out to fight the Philistines, and Jonathan's out there, it's the men of Israel, men of the Philistines, and Jonathan and his armor bearer say, hey, Jonathan says to his armor bearer, hey, let's go up to one of these garrisons of the Philistines, one of these big rocky fortresses. And, you know, God doesn't need many people to deliver the Philistines into our hands. Let's go up there. And if they say, hey, come on up, we're going to show you a thing or two, then we're going to go up. That's our sign. And if they say to stay down there, well, we'll stay down there. So, so we see in, in chapter 14, that's when that occurs, 14 verse 6 is where we really see Jonathan's faith uh, coming out. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, come let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And we know how he went up in the garrison and God was with him and they um, killed at least 20 men there by themselves, and that sort of started a, a battle in which the Israelites are victorious. And so that's, that's where we first see Jonathan, and, and we see an expression of, of faith in God and what God could do through his people. And then we're familiar with the account in chapter 16 of when David gets anointed by Samuel to be the king. And we see in verse 13 that the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So David's filled with the Holy Spirit at this point. Chapter 17, then, is David and Goliath, a story we're very familiar with. And then chapter 18 immediately seems to be immediately after this account of David and Goliath is where we're going to start reading here. And I, and I guess why I give that backstory is it seems to me as I look at the account of Jonathan and David that this friendship is, is rooted in more than just earthly, earthly friendship. There seems to be something deeper there. There seems to be something uh, facilitated by a common love of God and the Spirit working in David and Jonathan. So I'm just going to read verses 1 through 4 here of 1 Samuel 18. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, this is right after uh, David tells him who he is after the, the killing of Goliath. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him 
as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. So we see Jonathan, the king's son, next in line to the kingdom, his soul being knit with David, he, valuing his soul as his own soul. And some of the, the wording that's here, another place in the Old Testament that has similar, a similar concept is Jacob. When you know, Joseph gets sold into Egypt and the sons go down into Egypt to get food. And then Joseph says, you can't come down here unless you send Benjamin, the one who's been left behind. You can't come down again unless you bring him with you. And so they take him down. Joseph's going to, to keep Benjamin there. And Judah, I believe it was, is interceding and saying, the, Jacob, our father's soul, is, is wrapped up. His life is wrapped up in Benjamin's life. And if Benjamin doesn't come back, as soon as our father knows that, he's going to die. There's this, this life uh, that's so closely tied to another person's life. And we see that here with Jonathan, how he values David as his own soul, as his, as his own life, and even more so. And we'll, we'll see that as we, the story goes on. So not only did he, did he love him as much as uh, he loved his own life, but he also took off his, his princely robe and gave it to David. He even gave his sword. Now remember at this, at this time, if we look a few chapters earlier, the Philistines didn't allow them to have any blacksmiths at this time because they didn't want them to, to create swords and spears for fighting against them. Obviously a strategic advantage for the Philistines. So according to scripture, Saul, and Jonathan were the only two men in Israel who had swords. So this wasn't just giving another sword or the one that you happen to have on you to somebody else. This was a very prized possession here, giving his sword to David. So where's this love come from? What would... What would make Jonathan's soul be knit to the soul of David? What would, what would attract them? And I think it was a mutual love of God, a mutual love of what God could do, this, this kinship of realizing that we are small, but God can accomplish something great through us. Jonathan saw it work out when he went to the garrison. You know, he was, it was just him and his armor bearer scaling a garrison and God giving them the victory. Here we have David being small, killing Goliath, and again, God working, and recognizing that both of them have a common, powerful God who loves them and cares about them. And I really think that is the, the root of their friendship here. Read a few verses from 1 John 4. 
giving us the, the truth that love, love, true love, only comes from God. 1 John 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation or the atonement for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. I think Jonathan and David both felt the love of God, the power of God, in these experiences that they had in delivering, helping to deliver their people from the enemy. And I think it was a recognition of that love coming from God that knit them together, knit their souls together in friendship. And isn't it that way in the body of Christ as well? I asked the question earlier, why would we be here if it, if it were not for the love of God? Yeah, we could get together and, and maybe have a fun social time, but why wouldn't we be doing that um, I don't know, on the golf course or at a stadium or our children's soccer game or something. There, there are other social aspects to our lives, perhaps. But there's something special about being here with each one of you. And it's that love from God that we've experienced. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I also find it fascinating that Jonathan was, was attracted. He was, he was compelled almost to love David. And I think, I think that was the spirit of God working in David. When other people see our lives, when other people hear us talking and interacting with others, are they attracted to us? Do they... Do they get a sense of there's something different here. There's something compelling about this person that's different than most. Is the Holy Spirit evident in our words and actions? You know, Galatians 5, we have the fruit of the Spirit, which we're, again, familiar with. What's the first thing that's mentioned there? The fruit of the Spirit is love. That's the first one that's mentioned. And I believe if we're filled with the Spirit, it will show in how we love others. Let's move on a little bit in the story. Let's turn over to chapter 19. And chapter 18 is, is when Saul gets jealous of David. And David marries his daughter, becomes a son-in-law to Saul. And... David continues to have military success. And Saul is afraid. And so chapter 19 is, is when Saul tries to, uh, 
tries to kill David. And I'd like us to look at Jonathan's response here in this. We're not going to look at every example of when when Jonathan intervened, but Jonathan, his love and his friendship compelled him to defend David, to stand up for truth, to stand up for what was right. And in many ways, to stand up for someone who was... We may not say David was defenseless, but in some ways, if you don't know about something that's going to happen, if you don't know about an assassination plot, you can't really defend against that. So in some ways, David was defenseless here. Let's read verses 1 through 7. 1 Samuel 19. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, And because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine. And the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. So you see Jonathan advocating for his friend, but also advocating for for truth, for justice. God has worked a wonder, a salvation for Israel through this man. He's innocent. He's not done anything wrong. Why would you shed innocent blood? Again, a love for a friend, but a love that I believe is based on God's love. So for us today, what does that look like? What does it mean to to love others and to defend the helpless? The Old Testament talks in numerous places of of the fatherless and widows and how God is a, a defense for them. And I believe for us today, it ought to be the same way. Deuteronomy 10, 17-19 says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He's fair, okay? He's, he's a fair God, He's not partial to anybody. He's the God of gods. He's the Lord of lords. He's great. He's mighty. He's awesome. Okay? Here's a supreme being, the supreme being of the universe. He's extended his love to us in a way that's impartial. 
Verse 18, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. He cares for those that are maybe at a disadvantage. And then what's Israel commanded to do in the next verse? It says, verse 18, the verse I just read, it says that God loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. And then he turns to Israel and says, Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Remember, you were there at one time too, and I extended my love to you and brought you out of Egypt. Don't forget that. Extend my love, the love that you've seen me extend to you. Show that to others. What about us this morning? Your child of God, you've experienced a love that's greater than we can comprehend. We are all sinners, but yet God extended his love toward us. As we look around us, do we extend that same love to others? Ephesians 2 talks about us being dead, dead in trespasses and sins. But God extended his love toward us, saved us, reconciled us to himself. And we're sojourners here on our way to heaven. How are we treating other people who are on the journey of life? Another thing that happened here is Jonathan recognizes the the value of life, recognizes David's innocent. There's there's no reason for him to die. He took it upon himself to defend David. In this case, Jonathan is loving a close friend, a dear friend. But I believe he also would have done the same for another person who was innocent. And loving those around us does not mean loving the sin, but it means loving the person for who they are. Clement of Alexandria, an early church writer, said this, Speaking of loving, loving his enemies, he said, loving one's enemies does not mean loving wickedness, ungodliness, adultery, or theft. Rather, it means loving the thief, the ungodly person, and the adulterer. Not as far as he sins, in respect to of the actions by which he stains the name of man, but as he is a man and the work of God. Maybe a little hard to follow there, but we don't love them for the sin that they're committing, but we love them because they're a person. They're made in the image of God. Because of that, they have worth. They have eternal worth to God. Let's extend love as we sojourn here.
Let's turn next to chapter 20. We'll continue on this story. And again, in the intervening verses that I skipped over, Saul tries to uh, kill David with a spear, with a javelin. In chapter 20, I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but this is the account of, of when David says, your, your father's up to something. And Jonathan's like, no, if he was up to something, he'd tell me. And David's like, no, he's not telling you this time. There's something going on. And you know, David doesn't show up at the, at the feast. The second day of the feast, Saul gets very upset. And Jonathan says how he told David he could go back to Bethlehem to worship with his father. And Saul gets so angry that he tries to kill Jonathan with a spear. And Jonathan's very upset and leaves the feast. And then we have Jonathan taking the boy out into the field and shooting arrows and and telling the boy to to go and find the arrows. So I'm going to read a few verses out of this. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 first here. Then David fled from Naoth in Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father, that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. And then he goes on to talk about, there's going to be a feast tomorrow. I'm not going to be there, and I want to see how how Saul responds to my absence. At the end of of discussing this and how how they were going to communicate about it afterward, verse 16, And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies, And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. We see a renewal of this friendship. Can you imagine being Jonathan at this at this point in time? You know, he he recognized, I believe at this point already, that David was was going to get the kingdom. It was not going to be Jonathan's kingdom, even though he was Saul's son. So why is he advocating for someone who's going to take his position? Why is he trying to save the life of a man who's going to take power after his father's dead, rather than Jonathan? I think we see the depth and the purity of this, this love between Jonathan and David, where even losing his position as next in line to the king didn't deter Jonathan from doing what was right. So let's go to the end of the chapter, verse 41. So this is after Jonathan's 
shot the arrows and told the boy, the arrows are beyond you, go find them. And Jonathan, well, let's start at verse 40. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, go and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. I get the impression here that both of them left at this time, not really expecting to see each other again. There's this realization, this this sinking realization in Jonathan's heart that his father is intending to kill David. And it's not safe for David to be there. It's not going to be safe for David to be there. Saul has gone back on his word numerous times already and hunted after him. But they could go in peace knowing that the love of God was between them and between their families and future generations. So David flees and Jonathan goes back to the city. Again, Jonathan is willing to risk his life at this feast to find out what his father's intentions are, to put himself in harm's way. Are we willing to risk our own lives for those around us, to lay down our lives, to love our neighbor as ourself? Let's go yet to chapter 23. I'd like to read verses 15 to 18. David has fled to the Philistines. They knew who he was, so he acted mad and goes and is in a cave. And then Saul kills all these priests. David saves a city of of, uh, people from the Philistines. Saul hears about it, is going to come and capture David while he's in this fortified city and can't get away. David asks God about it. God says, yes, the, uh, the men of the city are going to, to surrender you. When they get besieged, even though you delivered them, they're going to give you up to Saul to be killed. And so David flees again. David and his men run wherever they can. And now let's break in here at verse 15 of chapter 23. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. 
And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horish, and Jonathan went home. Again, we see just an incredible example of of how Jonathan disregarded his, his position. Like, I'm not going to be king. You're going to be king. And David's gone through all these trials, and I'm, I'm sure it was incredibly meaningful that Jonathan somehow figured out where David was and strengthened his hand, strengthened him in the Lord, and reassured him that, yes, God is going to give the kingdom to you. You were anointed these years ago. You're going to be the king. We don't know exactly how long David is running from from Saul. When Goliath's killed, it seems like he was was younger than 20. 20 was was the age of, of when men would go to war. And so David's three oldest brothers were were in battle, so it seems likely that, that David and, and the other four brothers still at home were younger than 20 at that time, and we know David took, uh, became king when he was 30, so we know he spent at least a year and four months with the Philistines here at the end, um, verse, or chapter 27 is, is where that happens, but this was not just a month or two. Okay, this is, this is a significant amount of time running from someone with a lot of resources to hunt him down. And I'm sure it was trying at times. And Jonathan came and strengthened his hand. This disregard for position, this disregard for power on Jonathan's part really spoke to me. And my mind was drawn to to James where it talks about showing partiality and and not showing partiality. If someone rich comes in, the the human nature wants to give them a finer seat at the table. And if they're poor... Oh, you just go stand over there, sit over there somewhere. That's not loving our neighbor as ourselves. If James 2.9 says, if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. That's a high calling, brothers and sisters. It's only as we know the love of Christ in our own lives and recognize how hopeless our case is without Him that we can even have a chance at recognizing the true worth of someone else and recognizing their value and not 
following our, our fleshly desire to gain position or, or pride or power. It's only through Christ that we can be impartial. I'd like to close with some verses from 1 Corinthians. You can turn there. Well-known chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. On love. One of the things I'm struck with in this, in this passage is how love is going to endure. Love is going to survive the test of time. There will be love in heaven. But these other things, this, this giftedness of speaking in verse 1, this gift of prophecies, this knowledge, this faith, all those things are useful. They have a purpose here. But it's because of the partial redemption that's here. When, when we get to heaven, those things will not be needed. We will know and we will be known. We won't need any prophecies. We won't need the gift of speaking. But love is going to outlast those things. It will live on in eternity. God is love. I'm going to read the entire chapter this time. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. And the next chapter talks about pursuing love.
and desiring these other gifts that, that will pass away. But, but love is eternal. Faith, hope, and love abide. As we think of this story with Jonathan and David, we think of the, the depth of their friendship. I challenge us this morning to reflect on that and think about do I have that kind of, of love and friendship with anybody? With God, first of all, because if we don't have that love and that relationship with God, there's no way we can pass that on. We can only give what we have received, what we experience. Will we defend those who are defenseless? Will we show love that's selfless and loyal and impartial? Love that does not seek its own, but seeks the well-being of others. That values life and recognizes that each person is an eternal soul. And each person will spend somewhere in eternity. We're fellow sojourners on life. And to treat them with the love of God like we have been loved. And as 1 Peter says, to purify our souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. And because you've done that, to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Because you've been born again by the power of God. Let's go this week. Let's experience the love of Christ in our own lives and share that and spread that and be examples of that to those around us. Let's pray.